Testing, mic check. Mic check, one, two, mic check. One, two, one, two. Testing, mic check. Testing, mic check, one, two. All right, you guys ready? Oh, gosh. Nice. Do you like some water, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You are listening to Fanatsu. We, and, um, guys, is it, is it okay if I upload this as my first episode of the Native Perspectives podcast? Can we, like, double upload this? Or? So this, this is the Native Perspectives fan, cross Fanatsu, uh, uh, collaboration, even though I'm the same person. I haven't been cloned as far as I know. But um, yeah, we're, we're coming to you from the field. A little, something a little different. Um, we're, we're out here. Uh, me, Maget, Alex, Tom. Um, we're out here um, in New York for the United Nations Fourth Committee General Assembly. Uh, Guam is presenting tomorrow, as you may have read in the local news. Um, there's 16 delegates um, who will be testifying about political status, land rights, indigenous rights, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it's been a really uh, contentious year, uh, an exciting year, a depressing year at times, um, but there's movement and there's action, and we're out here in 2017, and, um, you know, um, we're going to bring it, so yeah. but. Um, also, um, on my way to the, uh, the Statue of Liberty, I came across uh, Francis Tavern, and apparently this is uh, where Washington, George Washington, and like all sorts of other revolutionaries would come and hang out and have a beer and then talk about uh, um, seceding from, or, yeah, seceding from England, um, and yeah, that insurrection, that separatism, and um, all that stuff. And this is where he eventually gave his uh, farewell speech to the revolutionary troops. Yeah. So, um, but Fran or Alex is uh, way more um, in tune with uh, with local history. So, did you, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that aspect of um, the history of this place? Um, that was a pretty good. Uh, that was a pretty good um, analysis or succinct like description of it, but I think this place is uh, um, a symbol for where of the of a breeding ground for where revolution can happen. Revolution really happens, but in conversation among like-minded people, and so that is this is should be a symbol of that. So I think that this is an appropriate place for us to gather. And what more with um, uh, oysters, uh, which I'm presuming are fresh, um, not some gimmick, um, and oyster stout, which I've never tried personally. Miguel, um, will you be um, will you be partaking in the uh, oysters? In the oysters? No, no. You guys are free to enjoy these revolutionary oysters. This one is named George Washington. This one is named John Adams. This one, no, I'm just kidding. One should be named Hamilton. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> the founding father in vogue of founding father of the moment, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I think it's very, very appropriate, as both of you have said, to to be doing a podcast here and to be doing a, you know, to be here right now 
at, after such an interesting and crazy year. And so um, back in Guam, there's been, an, especially today, there's been a lot of pushback, sort of a lot of stuff in the media which is very, which is uh, criticizing this trip and a lot of it is from people that don't really understand the United Nations, don't really understand what this trip is about, what we're doing. But if only those people, every time somebody sort of comes at, every time somebody comes after us and says something about that we're not, we're being anti-American or something like that, it's always good to remind people about what the United States looked like at its, at its very beginning. You had people that were proposing things that the majority of the people in the United States, for a variety of reasons, didn't support or didn't believe in and didn't think was possible themselves. And so people proposed ideals, people said it couldn't happen, it couldn't work. And so you have, to, you have to kind of think about that. What is your vision of the United States? Is your vision of the United States quest cards, military uniforms, Michael Bay movies? You know, or is there something deeper there? Is there something deeper tied to human freedom, um, tied to sort of people being able to govern themselves and not having somebody on the other side of the ocean governing them and telling them that they can't take care of themselves? And so it's, it's really interesting because the more, um, the more American so somebody professes to be, asserts themselves, the more you can use the roots of the United States against them to basically say that, yes, if you really, really, truly believed any of those things, then you should read. You should read them and you should think that somebody like, somebody like Angel Santos will say stuff which, you know, Thomas Jefferson said or Victoria Leon Guerrero will say stuff that sounds like what Alexander Hamilton said. They're both speaking from the same drive, the same hopes, so then what is it that's what is it when a chamorro voice can't have the same weight when a chamorro desire for freedom cannot count for as much as a hamilton so a santos is not worth the same as a hamilton a leon Guerrero not worth the same as a jefferson and so i really think that we really need to just keep confronting people to really think about what they mean when they say the United States or what they say when they mean patriotism or America. Because even as over the past couple of weeks, the issue with the flag and kneeling during the national anthem, people that are yelling and being very angry about it, it's clear that their love of the United States is probably pretty thin. Their belief in what it represents is so small. It's like, it's like that rice paper that crinkles and disappears between your fingers. That's about the strength of their understanding of what the United States is supposed to represent. And so... I was trying to think of a way to, to connect this to the police every breath you take. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I probably could do it if I wasn't so sleepy from traveling over here. But just remember that the Founding Fathers are watching you. <laughs> every breath you take, every kneel you take, <laughs> they're watching you. Right. So, yeah, we're going to cut to a short break. Um, honestly, I don't know how this audio is going to come out because, like, you can't overpower Sting, man. Um, it just, you know, we'll see. We'll see. 
Yeah. 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 What? Anyway, our our oysters are here. Um, I'm gonna figure out how to eat this thing, and uh, we're gonna get back to you guys. Panasu. Okay, and we're back. So, picking up audio. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, so as you can tell, my voice is uh, kind of messed up, but I'm sort of clearing up today, you know. Um, yeah. I'm hoping the oysters helped. They're like, uh, what is that? Well, you said that was horseradish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. How do, you, how do we want to do this? So, Alex, maybe you could tell us about uh, your your experience with uh, Thamuxidzen. And, um, so, you know, sort of what you're doing out here in New York. We'll go from there. Yeah? Okay. Yes, I... I was in uh, like 2009, I think, yes, 2010. I was briefly in Famuxides, and I think it was like the tail end of its existence. So it was very brief, but um, basically, I got involved just from Googling around and looking for um, activist groups around, uh, you know, self determination and decolonization. Um, and then I found. I found Maget's blog, and then I met somebody at a party who's like, I know this group, you should get in touch with them. And then that was Audrey Ward, got in touch with John Bloss, and then I I ended up uh, joining and organizing just for a little, a very brief stint with Fomaxizen. And then I started, um, I moved out to New York, not too long after that, actually. And there's no Chamorros out here. I met one. I met my first one today after four years <laughs> of another Chamorro who lives in New York. Um, but I've been following, you know, I've been following the movement from afar and keeping tabs. And when I heard, I saw on Maguette's Facebook page that you guys were coming out here, I wanted to just offer up my space and any, you know, local support that I could just to, you know, continue supporting what you guys are doing. I gladly accepted, so, <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, um, but yeah, like I said, if I, if I get too weird, or it's just, like, too awkward, like, if I'm snoring in the middle of the night, please, just let me know, because, um, I was unaware that, like, apartments in, uh, in Harlem, or maybe even Manhattan, really, yeah? They're shoeboxes, and it was not until the drive, like, the yeah, like maybe 10 blocks from my house that I realized he may not understand how small these are coming from Guam. So I warned him real quick. I was like, just don't be surprised how small it is. <laughs> how small are we talking here? Is this like the size of a Calvo bathroom or something like that? Or? <laughs> yeah. From there to there is his living room. Yeah, the living room. What do you think? Maybe like um, 600 square feet about? 700 square feet. Um, uh, I'm sleeping in the living room slash uh, dining room slash uh, kitchen. Um, and the library. And the library, yeah. But it's cool. Like, um, your place has a really cool uh, ambiance. Like, I, I'm really digging the, um, the uh, African-American literature. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good vibe. It's a good vibe. Um, where did you pick up on on uh, on African American literature before you came out here, or was that an interest you developed a while in uh, in school? Yeah. 
Um, well, I think uh, just being involved in and or caring about social justice and then like um, racial justice in the in the United States, it kind of naturally led me to trying to understand and to uh, familiarize myself with like Black American literature and and um, political commentary and social thought and all that stuff. So I think that that's it's it came before I moved to Harlem and moved before I moved out here. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. Um, it's. Um it's a field that I've wanted to uh, to dive into, but um, I get like I guess I don't know. It's it's sort of regional, I guess, uh, because I'm in Guam. I sort of um, naturally became uh, more inclined to uh, the work of like Hanani K. Trask, and then going down that path uh, with uh, Ke Keolani Kawanui. That's her name, right? Yeah, and um, so, yeah, but um, looking more into, um, like, uh, the Black Panthers and how they organize and their successes and their failures, um, that's something that I've been wanting to do more research into. Um, I think um, just growing up in the States, because I was born and raised in the States, um, and having, like, a... Uh, experience as a marginalized person or a minority person however you want to put it like you look for those kind of literature things and but growing up in the states it's about like a kind of a um the the racism the anti-black racism kind of drives the experience of all the other races in the united states um on the state side and so that's a lot of the literature really though like speaks to people who have marginalized experiences and so you kind of like as like being located in the states and growing up in the states i think that's um why that speaks to me and my experience because there's not like just i also wasn't aware of from where i grew up i wasn't aware of all the, like any any other things that connected to my personal heritage that spoke to those issues i wasn't really exposed to it so it's like you have, you kind of like get exposed more to the black experience and understanding race through that lens. And blackness, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know what? I don't know if um, I'm getting buzzed or they're just turning up the music even <laughs> louder. Um, I can't tell. I'm drinking uh, an oyster stout. Um, is this uh, is this your first time trying an oyster stout or like? I mean, this is my first time drinking. I just chose what you chose because they had nothing else that I chose. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is my first time drinking it too. It's pretty good. Nice creamy head. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know. I want to move over to the other corner. Maybe um, maybe the sound might turn out better. But, but yeah, so that is really interesting, man. Um, it was only recently that uh, I discovered that like non-whiteness was um there was sort of like a pan a pan uh marginalization going on where like uh um being puerto rican being chamorro like those are all things that can be classified as blackness in in um you know i guess uh, american uh literatures regarding marginalization right so but what interests me um lately is like the idea that um um, you can you can escape your class if you if you're like a white uh, male, you can always escape your class. But um, 
if you're non-white, you can never escape that that blackness, you know. And so it's always there with you. And um, yeah, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, with the climate of today. Yeah. Well, I think what happens is that there's the kind of racial structures and hierarchies for a lot of the early part of the U.S. history is, I mean, for all of U.S. history is it was black and white for a while and then when more and other non-white races started immigrating and and um the white supremacist structure had to integrate those within that paradigm of black and white and so um a lot of the non-white the different non-white people were you know put plugged into that system and so a lot of our the non-white people are used in that white supremacist system either on this you know to either like a lot of Asians and Pacific Islanders to to help suppress black people or in other some other way so like it's in growing up in the United States your race and non-whiteness is intricately connected to to blackness and how you're treated in the white supremacist structure so we sort of see that in Guam with like um the rhetoric that uh, Dave Davis has tried to to put out, like, um, <clears throat> are you familiar with uh, Arnold Dave Davis? Oh yeah, so he's the guy that filed a lawsuit against um, the um, Guam Election Commission about the plebiscite. He was arguing that um, everyone on Guam should be allowed to vote in the plebiscite, when in fact it is uh, a a vote for uh, native inhabitants. Or a restorative measure, you know, but um, he's arguing that um, you know, like there's other there's other ethnicities there, and they should all be allowed to vote. Um, what he what he has done though is um, he's tried to uh, rile up the the Filipino community, the Filipino seller community, and uh, turn them against the Chamorros using um, uh, historical um, uh, tensions. And um, yeah, so it's really depressing when, in fact, um, we have so much in common um, and we have a longer history with Filipinos than, um, you know, Americans, you know? Yeah, that, that's interesting. It's a very, like, it's a very parallel experience that I think maybe experience all over the world, definitely where the power people in power who want to keep you in a certain place will manipulate the situation so that um, people can't unify or can't can't have solidarity with each other to to find a better place for each other a better position so yeah Miguel finishes chicken did you have anything you wanted to add on that note uh, oh wait eating a Sunday oh sorry Okay. Yeah. Oh, adding on to Davis and white supremacy, or yeah, and also um, trying to rally up the support for uh, of other. Oh man, it's you know I, I always laugh because people that have a lot of hate in their hearts love to refer to others as like snowflakes they always pretend like the people who say the stuff that they don't like are the weak ones but if you look at the way that they respond to things like the mere presence of somebody that they don't like makes them all like messed up and crazy and they can't handle it like they they are like the definition of snowflakes it's so fascinating and like with 
Like I can't with Davis's position. Davis takes such a really, really like hysterical snowflake position. He possesses that he is like such an oppressed person on the island of Guam, and that the oppression that he meets is so horrible. And then what does he do when people like Manny or me? say that like we're colonized he basically says you guys are lucky to be under the United States he basically calls us you know tropical snowflakes sort of more more brown to light brown sort of snowflakes but it's like well dude you talk like you are the most oppressed person in the world like why are we snowflakes for talking about that and so it's just, anyways, it just astounds me because now the Guam Daily Post, where, where one of us at the table used to work, <laughs> is now the, the, the editorial this week that came out about it is like, his, it's hysterical. It was unhinged. It was, when I read it, I was kind of like, is this written by somebody that has multiple personality disorder? Because it looks like it was written by five different people. It's like a hydra where the heads are fighting against each other, trying to kill each other as they write an editorial. But it was, but the thing is that Davis, Davis, Davis doesn't necessarily have a lot of like allies, but for certain people who are in certain positions, they can use his words, give him a platform. Like, that's what's amazing is that the, the Post and the PDN both love to give this guy who says such horrible things and stands for such horrible things, they treat him like he's a civil rights hero, and it is so disturbing. But we just have to... The thing, though, is somebody like Davis, the more he talks... Like, when he's not getting his sound bites from the Post and the Pacific Island Times or the PDN making him look like he's, like, a really bad skin-cancered Martin Luther King, then he sounds horrible. Like, he doesn't gain any allies. Because you can tell, like, the hate that he has in his heart for people where he feels that other races are beneath him, where he feels like Muslim, like Sharia law is taking over the United States. Like, all of those things come out quite quickly if you just kind of let him talk for a little bit. So it's just weird how the, me the media now is manicuring his message to make it more palatable, and that's why we need to fight that and resist that. Um, especially, I mean, the, the Guam Daily Post doesn't have the reach that the PDN does, per se, but the PDN also likes to treat Davis like he's doing Uncle Sam's work in the island. That is, it's it's terrible that they legitimize um, his perspective, you know. Yeah, the, the editorial that came out today was disgusting, man. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, there's no hard inquiry into what it means, like the idea of unconstitutional, um, whether that's even good or bad. Um, and uh, no hard inquiry into, like, I don't know, just the the unique situation that Guam is in and how you can't you can't apply this like civil rights model, um, this American civil rights model to a place like Guam or even to the plight of uh, Native Americans and Native Hawaiians. Yeah, no one no one seems to be interested in looking beyond that. So I don't know. Um, 
as a, as a, a Chamo in diaspora who has uh, studied also marginalized works, you know, like African American literature or Black American Black American literature, what would you suggest? I mean, is there is there a method to uh, um, tackling the media and um, being proactive? Tackling the media? Oh man, I don't know. Um, I think that. I think that Black Lives Matter puts forth a good kind of model in that they've used the they use they've used the um, for our lack of a better phrase like the current digital age like just all the stuff the social media elements of it to create their own news and to create their own media and control the message themselves rather than relying on traditional media outlets to report for them and at at its best they're able to um, put out that their perspective and to um, have a conversation going in a non-traditional way that shifts the conversation of everybody who may or may not be aligned with Black Lives Matter. So I think that's the, the my, like, at least two-bit um, observation <laughs> and, like, suggestion, or I thought. Interesting, yeah. You good? I got a sorbet brain freeze. I think things like this podcast and, you know, like creating your own content and putting it out as far as you can get it is a really good media tactic. If only, like, um, we had the, the funding, the resources, you know. Uh, but yeah, when when we were more consistent, there was. We just have to marry rich. We just got to marry some rich women or men. Yeah. <laughs> right. Get that. What's it called? Get that sugar, sugar daddy revolution money. Yeah. Well, you know, same sex uh, marriage is legal on Guam again. So. I mean, wait, what is it if you got several wives? Is that polygamy or bigamy? No, bigamy is if you got different husbands. I would gladly add a couple of husbands. Who, Guy Salapina, who had some money. <laughs> some Adas, Calvos, uh, Boydalia. Absolutely. Just, I mean, it's one of the things that people forget is that grassroots revolutions or movements are very possible, but there has to be, but if there's some sort of support as well, then it, it always makes it easier because as the grassroots, you don't have a lot of access to the mechanisms of the media or to the mechanisms of power, like formal power in a society. So usually there has to be some allies or somebody who's assisting to basically help help the movement grow and help it sustain itself. Like you gotta have those things. You gotta have benefactors, silent or quiet, invisible benefactors sometimes. And for me it's just really funny because in Okinawa, the Okinawan like uh, demilitarization activists and the decolonization activists are always accused of being funded by China. And then certain people accuse us of being funded by China. And I would just like to let the Chinese know that we have a GoFundMe page. <laughs> Funds for freedom. You can go there right now because China doesn't give us anything. I mean, pe when people say stuff like that, it's they're trying to, they're, you know, they're a complicated issue. They're trying to reduce it to you are the bad guy. But then the same people who are not, who are really 
who are accusing us of being funded by China are also the people who seem to find it okay that Donald Trump really likes to touch Vladimir Putin's kung kung and stuff like that. Anyways, but so, yes, any, any Chinese out there, go fund me page. Go fund me page. <laughs> And also, if you open up uh, scholarships to, um, you know, uh, post-grad students, you know, I will attend your university, you know, as a means of, um, you know, unity between Guam and, and China. So, but yeah, you know, that's so weird. Just throwing it out there, exactly. Yeah, man, that is interesting. Um, you got to think about it. What's really stupid for Guam, like, if you look at... Um, if you look at the difference between like the way that Tommy Remengasau or then like Eddie Calvo would talk about the world, Tommy Remengasau from Palau, it's like the world has lots of different angles and lots of different corners. It's not the United States and the rest of the world. Only if you live in a colony or if you live in the United States do you think that it's the United States and the rest of the world. It's, it's, a, it's a world and it's full of avenues, it's full of places, it's full of regions. And we on Guam are so stuck in this idea that it's the U.S. and the rest. And we would rather be part of the U.S. than be part of the rest. But the rest represents the majority of the world's population. It represents the majority of everything in the world we think. And so just even the foundational work that we're doing has, n has less to do with just direct independence, but really just getting people to see that there is the world out there. That you don't have to, that it doesn't have to be everything screened through the United States or seen through the United States' eyes. But that's why, if you think about the way that people on Guam tend to see it, there's the U.S.'s allies and then the U.S.'s enemies. And we have to hate their enemies and we have to love their friends. If you think about it, what kind of life is that? That's being like some, some secondary supporting character in like a high school click drama. Y yeah, You're, you are one of the mean girls. And so when the alpha mean girl doesn't like so-and-so, you got to hiss at that person. You don't even, but do you really feel in your heart that you hate that person? No. It's just because Regina George doesn't like that person. I know. And so you don't want to be a plastic. You don't want to be a plastic. <laughs> but so just even just seeing the world like that, it's like people don't get it. It's... So whether you love the United States and you love its military, isn't it better to have some place in the conversation about war and peace as opposed to just being the ants that live on America's spear? Of course it is. So it has nothing to do with whether you love the United States or not. Like if you, if you love the United States, that doesn't mean you blindly obey everything they say and do. Even that sense of patriotism kind of kind of is stupid. If you think about it, the the blind patriotism where Sean Hannity says you should love this, Donald Trump says you should hate that. What good is that, anyways? As we stand in a place where, as we sit in a place where George Washington gave his farewell speech to his troops. Yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, like. 
Chamorros, people, people, well, not even Chamorros only, but people on Guam love to travel so much, particularly to like Japan or Korea. You would think that they would have a, a, a broader view of the world and relationships than uh, always like through an American lens. Like, you know, what if one day we, we had, um, um, you know, uh, programs, more programs where like uh, Chamorro students from University of Guam could like transfer into a graduate program in Japan, like more directly, um, or things like that. Like, the opportunities are all there. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think we might need to wrap this up soon, though. I think we're fading. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I can feel my voice fading, man. Yeah. But. <laughs> say goodbye to George Washington. The way that he said goodbye to his troops here, we say goodbye to him. <laughs> Does anyone know how that went down? George Washington's farewell speech. I played Assassin's Creed 3. Um, so, in a way, I've probably already been here, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Assassin's Creed 3, and it takes place uh, during the uh, Revolutionary War. Oh, wow. I don't know how that happened, but on the plaque it said it happened on the second floor. He probably just gathered everybody. There probably weren't that many of them, and he just said farewell. Yeah. At this point, George Washington didn't think he was ever going to come back and be a leader of any kind at this point. So he presided over the Constitutional Convention, and then after that, they voted him in. But for that was like five, like that was uh, four years. There's a uh, wait, 84. That's like five years after he gave his speech. So he's like, bye, guys, I'm done. And then, yeah. He was like, all right, I guess I'll go now. I mean, how much you guys want me to stay? You guys want me to stay? Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Yeah, basically. So I bet he just was like, bye. It's nice, nice being with you guys. So that's probably. Yeah, awesome. Oh, it's great. Um, great knowing you and like having you here. Um, Cause like, like I said, you can open up your own like tour, like <laughs> grassroots tour, tour business. Like, yeah, all, all the history and stuff. Like you just soaked it up when you moved here, I guess. Yeah, maybe I'm inspired to do so. Airbnb experience. If you guys, you know, come to New York, maybe I'll open it up. Look for my uh, experience. <laughs> yeah, man. But so I hope this isn't the last time we check in with you guys. Um, uh, we've been sort of exhausted uh that that 20 hour uh travel man that was killer uh my voice is slowly coming back um i hope we can uh we can record a little bit more while we're here and uh we'll check with you guys next time thanks for listening bye all right